0: PART five OF CHANCE BY JOSEPH CONRAD. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. PART five. WHAT DO YOU WANT? YOU WILL NOTE THAT SHE CRIED, WHAT DO YOU WANT, NOT WHAT HAS HAPPENED. SHE TOLD MRS. FINE THAT SHE HAD RECEIVED SUDDENLY THE FEELING OF BEING PERSONALLY ATTACKED, AND THAT MUST HAVE BEEN VERY TERRIFYING. The woman before her had been the wisdom the authority the protection of life security embodied and visible and undisputed you may imagine then the force of the shock in the intuitive perception not merely of danger for she did not know what was alarming her but in the sense of the security being gone and not only security i don't know how to explain it clearly Look. Even a small child lives, plays, and suffers in terms of its conception of its own existence. Imagine, if you can, a fact coming in suddenly with a force capable of shattering that very conception itself. It was only because of the girl being still so much of a child that she escaped mental destruction, that, in other words, she got over it. Could one conceive of her more mature, while still as ignorant as she was, one must conclude that she would have become an idiot on the spot, long before the end of that experience. Luckily, people, whether mature or not mature, and who really is ever mature, are for the most part quite incapable of understanding what is happening to them a merciful provision of nature to preserve an average amount of sanity for working purposes in this world but we my dear Marlowe, have the inestimable advantage of understanding what is happening to others i struck in or at least some of us seem to is that too a provision of nature and what is it for is it that we may amuse ourselves gossiping about each other's affairs you for instance seem i don't know what i seem marlow silenced me and surely life must be amused somehow it would be still a very respectable provision if it were only for that end but from that same provision of understanding there springs in us compassion charity indignation the sense of solidarity and in minds of any largeness an inclination to that indulgence which is next door to affection. I don't mean to say that I'm inclined to an indulgent view of the precious couple, which broke in upon an unsuspecting girl. They came marching in. It's the very expression she used later on to Mrs. Fine, but at her cry they stopped. It must have been startling enough to them. It was like having the mask torn off when you don't expect it the man stopped for good he didn't offer to move a step further but though the governess had come in there for the very purpose of taking the mask off for the first time in her life she seemed to look upon the frightened cry as a fresh provocation what are you screaming for you little fool she said advancing alone close to the girl "'who was affected exactly as if she had seen Medusa's head with serpentine locks "'set mysteriously on the shoulders of that familiar person in that brown dress "'under that hat she knew so well. "'It made her lose all her hold on reality. "'She told Mrs. Fine, "'I didn't know where I was. "'I didn't even know that I was frightened.' if she had told me it was a joke i would have laughed if she had told me to put on my hat and go out with her i would have gone to put on my hat and gone out with her and never said a single word i should have been convinced i had been mad for a minute or so and i would have worried myself to death rather than breathe a hint of it to her or anyone but the wretch put her face close to mine and i could not move directly i had looked into her eyes i felt grown on to the carpet it was years afterwards that she used to talk like this to mrs fine and to mrs fine alone nobody else ever heard the story from her lips but it was never forgotten it was always felt it remained like a mark on her soul a sort of mystic wound to be contemplated to be meditated over and she said further to mrs fyne in the course of many confidences provoked by that contemplation that as long as that woman called her names it was almost soothing it was in a manner reassuring her imagination had like her body gone off in a wild bound to meet the unknown and then to hear after all something which more in its tone than in its substance was mere venomous abuse had steadied the inward flutter of all her being she called me a little fool more times than i can remember i a fool why mrs fyne i do assure you i had never yet thought at all never of anything in the world till then i just went on living and one can't be a fool without one has at least tried to think but what had i ever to think about and no doubt commented Marlowe. her life had been a mere life of sensations the response to which can neither be foolish nor wise it can only be temperamental AND I BELIEVE THAT SHE WAS OF A GENERALLY HAPPY DISPOSITION, A CHILD OF THE AVERAGE KIND. EVEN WHEN SHE WAS ASKED VIOLENTLY WHETHER SHE IMAGINED THAT THERE WAS ANYTHING IN HER, APART FROM HER MONEY, TO INDUCE ANY INTELLIGENT PERSON TO TAKE ANY SORT OF INTEREST IN HER EXISTENCE, SHE ONLY CAUGHT HER BREATH IN ONE DRY SOB AND SAID NOTHING, MADE NO OTHER SOUND, MADE NO MOVEMENT when she was viciously assured that she was in heart, mind, manner, and appearance an utterly common and insipid creature, she remained still, without indignation, without anger. She stood, a frail and passive vessel into which the other went on pouring, all the accumulated dislike for all her pupils, her scorn of all her employers, the ducal one included the accumulated resentment the infinite hatred of all these unrelieved years of i won't say hypocrisy the practice of perfect hypocrisy is a relief in itself a secret triumph of the vilest sort no doubt but still a way of getting even with the common morality from which some of us appear to suffer so much no i will say the years the passionate bitter years of restraint the iron admirably mannered restraint at every moment in a never-failing perfect correctness of speech glances movements smiles gestures establishing for her a high reputation an impressive record of success in her sphere it had been like living half strangled for years and all this torture for nothing in the end what looked at last like a possible prize oh without illusions but still a prize broken in her hands fallen in the dust the bitter dust of disappointment she revelled in the miserable revenge pretty safe too only regretting the unworthiness of the girlish figure which stood for so much she had longed to be able to spit venom at, if only once, in perfect liberty. The presence of the young man at her back increased both her satisfaction and her rage, but the very violence of the attack seemed to defeat its end by rendering the representative victim as it was insensible the cause of this outrage naturally escaping the girl's imagination her attitude was in effect that of dense hopeless stupidity and it is a fact that the worst shocks of life are often received without outcries without gestures without a flow of tears and the convulsions of sobbing the insatiable governess missed these signs exceedingly this pitiful stolidity was only a fresh provocation yet the poor girl was deadly pale i was cold she used to explain to mrs fyne i had had time to get terrified she had pushed her face so near mine and her teeth looked as though she wanted to bite me her eyes seemed to have become quite dry hard and small in a lot of horrible wrinkles i was too afraid of her to shudder too afraid of her to put my fingers to my ears i didn't know what i expected her to call me next but when she told me i was no better than a beggar that there would be no more masters no more servants no more horses for me I said to myself, Is that all? I should have laughed if I hadn't been too afraid of her to make the least little sound. It seemed that poor Flora had to know all the possible phases of that sort of anguish, beginning with instinctive panic, through the bewildered stage, the frozen stage, and the stage of blanched apprehension down to the instinctive prudence of extreme terror, the stillness of the mouse. But when she heard herself called the child of a cheat and a swindler, the very monstrous unexpectedness of this caused in her a revulsion towards letting herself go. She screamed out all at once, you mustn't speak like this of Papa. The effort of it uprooted her from that spot where her little feet seemed dug deep into the thick luxurious carpet, and she retreated backwards to a distant part of the room, hearing herself repeat you mustn't, you mustn't, as if it were somebody else screaming. She came to a chair and flung herself into it. Thereupon the somebody else ceased screaming, and she lolled. EXHAUSTED, SIGHTLESS IN A SILENT ROOM, AS IF INDIFFERENT TO EVERYTHING AND WITHOUT A SINGLE THOUGHT IN HER HEAD. THE NEXT FEW SECONDS SEEMED TO LAST FOREVER SO LONG, A BLACK ABYSS OF TIME SEPARATING WHAT WAS PAST AND GONE FROM THE REAPPEARANCE OF THE GOVERNESS AND THE REAWAKENING OF FEAR, AND THAT WOMAN WAS FORCING THE WORDS THROUGH HER SET TEETH, you say I mustn't, I mustn't. All the world will be speaking of him like this to-morrow. They will say it and they'll print it. You shall hear it and you shall read it. And then you shall know whose daughter you are. Her face lighted up with an atrocious satisfaction. He's nothing but a thief, she cried, this father of yours. As to you, I have never been deceived in you for a moment. I have been growing more and more sick of you for years. You are a vulgar, silly nonentity, and you shall go back to where you belong, whatever low place you have sprung from, and beg your bread. That is, if anybody's charity will have anything to do with you, which I doubt. She would have gone on regardless of the enormous eyes of the open mouth of the girl who sat up suddenly with the wild staring expression of being choked by invisible fingers on her throat and yet horribly pale the effect on her constitution was so profound mrs fine told me that she who as a child had a rather pretty delicate colouring showed a white bloodless face for a couple of years afterwards and remained always liable at the slightest emotion to an extraordinary ghost-like whiteness. The end came in the abomination of desolation of the poor child's miserable cry for help, Charlie, Charlie, coming from her throat in hidden gasping efforts. Her enlarged eyes had discovered him where he stood motionless and dumb. He started from his immobility, a hand withdrawn brusquely from the pocket of his overcoat strode up to the woman seized her by the arm from behind saying in a rough commanding tone come away eliza in an instant the child saw them close together and remote near the door gone through the door which she neither heard nor saw being opened or shut but it was shut oh yes it was shut Her slow, unseeing glance wandered all over the room. For some time longer she remained leaning forward, collecting her strength, doubting if she would be able to stand. She stood up at last. Everything about her spun round in an oppressive silence. She remembered perfectly, as she told Mrs. Fine, that clinging to the arm of the chair she called out twice, Papa, Papa at the thought that he was far away in london everything about her became quite still then frightened suddenly by the solitude of that empty room she rushed out of it blindly with that fatal diffidence in well-doing inherent in the present condition of humanity the fynes continued to watch at their window it's always so difficult to know what to do for the best, Fine assured me. It is. Good intentions stand in their own way so much. Whereas if you want to do harm to anyone, you needn't hesitate. You have only to go on. No one will reproach you with your mistakes or call you a confounded clumsy meddler. The Fynes watched the door. The closed street door, inimical somehow, to their benevolent thoughts, the face of the house cruelly impenetrable. It was just as on any other day. The unchanged daily aspect of inanimate things is so impressive that Fine went back into the room for a moment, picked up the paper again, and ran his eyes over the items of news. No doubt of it, it looked very bad. He came back to the window and Mrs. Fine. Tired out as she was, she sat there resolute and ready for responsibility. But she had no suggestion to offer. People do fear a rebuff wonderfully, and all her audacity was in her thoughts. She shrank from the incomparably insolent manner of the governess, Fine stood by her side, as in those old-fashioned photographs of married couples where you see a husband with his hand on the back of his wife's chair. And they were about as efficient as an old photograph, and as still, till Mrs. Fine started slightly. The street door had swung open, and bursting out appeared the young man, his hat, mrs fyne observed tilted forward over his eyes after him the governess slipped through turning round at once to shut the door behind her with care meantime the man went down the white steps and strode along the pavement his hands rammed deep into the pockets of his fawn overcoat the woman that woman of composed movements of deliberate superior manner took a little run to catch up with him and directly she had caught up with him tried to introduce her hand under his arm mrs fyne saw the brusque half turn of the fellow's body as one avoids an importunate contact defeating her attempt rudely she did not try again but kept pace with his stride, and Mrs. Fine watched them, walking independently, turn the corner of the street side by side, disappear forever. The Fynes looked at each other eloquently, doubtfully. What do you think of this? Then, with common accord, turned their eyes back to the street door, closed, massive, dark. The great clear brass knocker, shining in a quiet slant of sunshine cut by a diagonal line of heavy shade filling the further end of the street could the girl be already gone sent away to her father had she any relations nobody but de barral himself ever came to see her mrs fine remembered and she had the instantaneous profound maternal perception of the child's loneliness and a girl too It was irresistible, and besides, the departure of the governess was not without its encouraging influence. I am going over at once to find out, she declared resolutely, but still staring across the street. Her intention was arrested by the sight of that awful, somberly, glistening door, swinging back suddenly on the yawning darkness of the hall, out of which literally flew out right out on the pavement, almost without touching the white steps, a little figure swathed in a holland pinafore up to the chin, its hair streaming back from its head, darting past a lamp post, past the red pillar-box. "'Here!' cried Mrs. Fine. "'She's coming here. Run, John, run!' Fine bounded out of the room. "'This is his own word. Bounded!' he assured me with intensified solemnity that he bounded and the sight of the short and muscular fine bounding gravely about the circumscribed passages and staircases of a small very high-class private hotel would have been worth any amount of money to a man greedy of memorable impressions but as I looked at him, the desire of laughter, at my very lips, I asked myself, how many men could be found ready to compromise their cherished gravity for the sake of the unimportant child of a ruined financier with an ugly black cloud, already wreathing his head? I didn't laugh at little Fine. I encouraged him. You did. Very good. Well? Well? His main thought was to save the child from some unpleasant interference. There was a porter downstairs, page-boys, some people going away with their trunks in the passage, a railway omnibus at the door, white-breasted waiters dodging about the entrance. He was in time. He was at the door before she reached it in her blind course. She did not recognize him perhaps she did not see him he caught her by the arm as she ran past and very sensibly without trying to check her simply darted in with her and up the stairs causing no end of consternation amongst the people in his way they scattered what might have been their thoughts at the spectacle of a shameless middle-aged man abducting headlong into the upper regions of a respectable hotel a terrified young girl obviously underage i don't know and fine he told me so did not care for what people might think all he wanted was to reach his wife before the girl collapsed for a time she ran with him but at the last flight of stairs he had to seize and half drag half carry her to his wife mrs fyne waited at the door with her quite unmoved physiognomy and her readiness to confront any sort of responsibility which already characterized her long before she became a ruthless theorist relieved his mission accomplished fyne closed hastily the door of the sitting-room but before long both fynes became frightened after a period of immobility in the arms of mrs fyne the girl who had not said a word tore herself out from that slightly rigid embrace she struggled dumbly between them they did not know why soundless and ghastly till she sank exhausted on a couch luckily the children were out with the two nurses the hotel housemaid helped mrs fyne to put flora de barral to bed she was as if gone speechless and insane she lay on her back her face white like a piece of paper her dark eyes staring at the ceiling her awful immobility broken by sudden shivering fits with a loud chattering of teeth in the shadowy silence of the room the blinds pulled down mrs fyne sitting by patiently her arms folded yet inwardly moved by the riddle of that distress of which she could not guess the word AND SAYING TO HERSELF, THAT CHILD IS TOO EMOTIONAL, MUCH TOO EMOTIONAL, TO BE EVER REALLY SOUND, AS IF ANYONE NOT MADE OF STONE COULD BE PERFECTLY SOUND IN THIS WORLD. AND THEN HOW SOUND, IN WHAT SENSE, TO RESIST WHAT, FORCE OR CORRUPTION? AND EVEN IN THE BEST ARMOR OF STEEL THERE ARE JOINTS A treacherous STROKE CAN ALWAYS FIND IF CHANCE GIVES THE OPPORTUNITY. General considerations never had the power to trouble Mrs. Fine much. The girl not being in a state to be questioned, she waited by the bedside. Fine had crossed over to the house, his scruples overcome by his anxiety, to discover what really had happened. He did not have to lift the knocker. The door stood open on the inside gloom of the hall he walked into it and saw no one about the servants having assembled for a fatuous consultation in the basement fine's uplifted bass voice startled them down there the butler coming up staring and in his shirt sleeves very suspicious at first and then on fine's explanation that he was the husband of a lady who had called several times at the house miss de barral's mother's friend becoming humanely concerned and communicative in a man-to-man tone but preserving his trained high-class servant's voice oh bless you sir no she does not mean to come back she told me so herself he assured fyne with a faint shade of contempt creeping into his tone as regards their young lady Nobody downstairs had any idea that she had run out of the house. He dared say they all would have been willing to do their very best for her, for the time being. But since she was now with her mother's friends... He fidgeted. He murmured that all this was very unexpected... He wanted to know what he had better do with letters or telegrams which might arrive in the course of the day. Letters addressed to Miss Barral. You had better bring over to my hotel over there, said Fine, beginning to feel extremely worried about the future. The man said, yes, sir, adding, and if a letter comes addressed to Mrs. Fine stopped him by a gesture. I don't know. Anything you like. Very well, sir. The butler did not shut the street door after Fine, but remained on the doorstep for a while, looking up and down the street in the spirit of independent expectation, like a man who is again his own master. Mrs. Fine, hearing her husband return, came out of the room where the girl was lying in bed. No change, she whispered and fine could only make a hopeless sign of ignorance as to what all this meant and how it would end he feared future complications naturally a man of limited means in a public position his time not his own yes he owned to me in the parlour of my farmhouse that he had been very much concerned then at the possible consequences but as he was making this artless confession i said to myself that whatever consequences and complications he might have imagined the complication from which he was suffering now could never never have presented itself to his mind slow but sure for i conceive that the book of destiny had been written up from the beginning to the last page it had been coming for something like six years and now it had come the complication was there i looked at his unshaken solemnity with the amused pity we give the victim of a funny if somewhat ill-natured practical joke oh hang it he exclaimed in no logical connection with what he had been relating to me nevertheless the exclamation was intelligible enough however at first there were he admitted no untoward complications, no embarrassing consequences. To a telegram in guarded terms dispatched to de Barral, no answer was received for more than twenty-four hours. This certainly caused the fine some anxiety. When the answer arrived late on the evening of next day, it was in the shape of an elderly man, an unexpected sort of man. Fine explained to me with precision that he evidently belonged to what is most respectable in the lower middle class. He was calm and slow in his speech. He was wearing a frock-coat, had grey whiskers, meeting under his chin, and declared on entering that Mr. de Barral was his cousin. He hastened to add that he had not seen his cousin for many years— while he looked upon Fine, who received him alone, with so much distrust that Fine felt hurt, the person actually refusing at first the chair offered to him, and retorted tartly that he, for his part, had never seen Mr. de Barral in his life, and that since the visitor did not want to sit down, he, Fine, begged him to state his business as shortly as possible. The man in black sat down then with a faint superior smile. He had come for the girl. His cousin had asked him in a note delivered by a messenger to go to Brighton at once and take his girl over from a gentleman named Fine and give her house-room for a time in his family, and there he was. His business had not allowed him to come sooner. His business was the manufacture, on a large scale, of cardboard boxes. He had two grown-up girls of his own. He had consulted his wife, and so that was all right. The girl would get a welcome in his home. His home most likely was not what she was used to, but etc., etc., All the time, Fine felt subtly in that man's manner a derisive disapproval of everything that was not lower-middle class, a profound respect for money, a mean sort of contempt for speculators that fail, and a conceited satisfaction with his own respectable vulgarity. With Mrs. Fine, the manner of the obscure cousin of Barral was but little less offensive. He looked at her rather slyly, but her cold, decided demeanour impressed him. Mrs. Fine, on her side, was simply appalled by the personage, but did not show it outwardly. Not even when the man remarked with false simplicity that Florrie, her name was Florrie, wasn't it, would probably miss, at first, all her grand friends and when he was informed that the girl was in bed not feeling well at all he showed an unsympathetic alarm she wasn't an invalid was she no what was the matter with her then an extreme distaste for that respectable member of society was depicted in fyne's face even as he was telling me of him after all these years he was a specimen of precisely the class of which people, like the Fynes have the least experience, and I imagine he jarred on him painfully. He possessed all the civic virtues in their very meanest form, and the finishing touch was given by a low sort of consciousness he manifested of possessing them. His industry was exemplary. He wished to catch the earliest possible train next morning, It seems that for seven and twenty years he had never missed being seated on his office stool at the factory punctually at ten o'clock every day. He listened to Mrs. Fyne's objections with undisguised impatience. Why couldn't Florey get up and have her breakfast at eight like other people? In his house the breakfast was at eight sharp. Mrs. Fynes' polite stoicism overcame him at last. He had come down at a very great personal inconvenience, he assured her with displeasure, but he gave up the early train. The good Fynes didn't dare to look at each other before this unforeseen but perfectly authorized guardian, the same thought springing up in their minds, poor girl, poor girl, if the women of the family were like this too of course they would be poor girl but what could they have done even if they had been prepared to raise objections the person in the frock-coat had the father's note he had shown it to fyne just a request to take care of the girl as his nearest relative, without any explanation or a single allusion to the financial catastrophe, its tone strangely detached, and in its very silence on the point, giving occasion to think that the writer was not uneasy as to the child's future. Probably it was that very idea which had set the cousin so readily in motion, men had come before out of commercial crashes with estates in the country and a comfortable income if not for themselves then for their wives and if a wife could be made comfortable by a little dexterous management then why not a daughter yes this possibility might have been discussed in the person's household and judged worth acting upon the man actually hinted broadly that such was his belief and in face of fynes guarded replies gave him to understand that he was not the dupe of such reticences obviously he looked upon the fynes as being disappointed because the girl was taken away from them they by a diplomatic sacrifice in the interests of poor flora had asked the man to dinner he accepted ungraciously remarking that he was not used to late hours he had generally a bit of supper about half-past eight or nine however he gazed contemptuously round the prettily decorated dining-room he wrinkled his nose in a puzzled way at the dishes offered to him by the waiter but refused none devouring the food with a great appetite, and drinking—swilling, Fine called it—gallons of ginger-beer, which were procured for him in stone bottles at his request. The difficulty of keeping up a conversation with that being exhausted Mrs. Fine herself, who had come to the table armed with adamantine resolution the only memorable thing he said was when in a pause of gorging himself with these french dishes he deliberately let his eyes roam over the little tables occupied by parties of diners and remarked that his wife did for a moment think of coming down with him but that he was glad she didn't do so she wouldn't have been at all happy seeing all this alcohol about not at all happy he declared weightily you must have had a charming evening i said to fine if i may judge from the way you have kept the memory green delightful he growled with positively a flash of anger at the recollection but lapsed back into his solemnity at once after we had been silent for a while i asked whether the man took away the girl next day. Fyne said that he did. In the afternoon, in a fly, with a few clothes the maid had got together and brought across from the big house. He only saw Flora again ten minutes before they left for the railway station in the Fines' sitting room at the hotel. It was a most painful ten minutes for the Fines the respectable citizen addressed miss de barral as Florrie and my dear remarking to her that she was not very big there's not much of you my dear in a familiarly disparaging tone then turning to mrs fyne and quite loud she's very white in face why's that to this mrs fyne made no reply she had put the girl's hair up THAT MORNING WITH HER OWN HANDS. IT CHANGED HER VERY MUCH, OBSERVED FINE. HE NATURALLY PLAYED A SUBORDINATE, MERELY APPROVING PART. ALL HE COULD DO FOR MISS Barral PERSONALLY WAS TO GO DOWNSTAIRS AND PUT HER INTO THE FLY HIMSELF, WHILE MISS Barral's NEAREST RELATION, HAVING BEEN SHOULDERED OUT OF THE WAY, STOOD BY WITH AN UMBRELLA AND A LITTLE BLACK BAG watching this proceeding with grim amusement, as it seemed. It was difficult to guess what the girl thought or what she felt. She no longer looked a child. She whispered to Fyne a faint thank you from the fly, and he said to her in very distinct tones, and while still holding her hand, Pray don't forget to write fully to my wife in a day or two, miss de barral then fyne stepped back and the cousin climbed into the fly muttering quite audibly i don't think you'll be troubled much with her in the future without however looking at fyne on whom he did not even bestow a nod the fly drove away chapter five the tea party amiable personality i observed seeing fyne on the point of falling into a brown study, but I could not help adding with meaning. He hadn't the gift of prophecy, though. Fine got up suddenly with a muttered, no, evidently not. He was gloomy, hesitating. I suppose that he would not wish to play chess that afternoon. This would dispense me from leaving my rooms on a day much too fine to be wasted in walking exercise. AND I WAS DISAPPOINTED WHEN PICKING UP HIS CAP, HE intimated TO ME HIS HOPE OF SEEING ME AT THE COTTAGE ABOUT FOUR O'CLOCK, AS USUAL. IT WOULDN'T BE AS USUAL. I PUT A PARTICULAR STRESS ON THAT REMARK. HE ADMITTED AFTER A SHORT REFLECTION THAT IT WOULD NOT BE, NO, NOT AS USUAL. IN FACT, IT WAS HIS WIFE WHO HOPED, RATHER, FOR MY PRESENCE she had formed a very favourable opinion of my practical sagacity this was the first i ever heard of it i had never suspected that mrs fyne had taken the trouble to distinguish in me the signs of sagacity or folly the few words we had exchanged last night in the excitement or the bother of the girl's disappearance were the first moderately significant words which had ever passed between us i had felt myself always to be in mrs fyne's view her husband's chess-player and nothing else a convenience almost an implement i am highly flattered i said i have always heard that there are no limits to feminine intuition and now i am half inclined To believe it is so but still i fail to see in what way my sagacity practical or otherwise can be of any service to mrs fyne one man's sagacity is very much like any other man's sagacity and with you at hand fyne manifestly not intending to what i was saying directed straight at me his worried solemn eyes and struck in yes yes very likely but you will come won't you i had made up my mind that no fine of either sex would make me walk three miles there and back to their cottage on this fine day if the fines had been an average sociable couple one knows only because leisure must be got through somehow i would have made short work of that special invitation but they were not that their undeniable humanity had to be acknowledged at the same time i wanted to have my own way so i proposed that i should be allowed the pleasure of offering them a cup of tea at my rooms a short reflective pause and fyne accepted eagerly in his own and his wife's name a moment after i heard the click of the gate-latch and then in an ecstasy of barking from his demonstrative dog his serious head went past my window on the other side of the hedge its troubled gaze fixed forward and the mind inside obviously employed in earnest speculation of an intricate nature one at least of his wife's girl friends had become more than a mere shadow for him I surmised, however, that it was not of the girlfriend but of his wife that Fine was thinking. He was an excellent husband. I prepared myself for the afternoon's hospitalities, calling in the farmer's wife and reviewing with her the resources of the house and the village. She was a helpful woman, but the resources of my sagacity I did not review except in the gross material sense of the afternoon tea i made no preparations for mrs fine it was impossible for me to make any such preparations i could not tell what sort of sustenance she would look for from my sagacity and as to taking stock of the wares of my mind no one i imagine is anxious to do that sort of thing if it can be avoided A vaguely grandiose state of mental self-confidence is much too agreeable to be disturbed recklessly by such a delicate investigation. Perhaps if I had had a helpful woman at my elbow, a dear, flattering, acute, devoted woman, there are in life moments when one positively regrets not being married. No, I don't exaggerate. I have said... Moments, not years, or even days, moments. The farmer's wife obviously could not be asked to assist. She could not have been expected to possess the necessary insight, and I doubt whether she would have known how to be flattering enough. She was being helpful in her own way, with an extraordinary black bonnet on her head, a good mile off by that time, trying to discover in the village shops a piece of edible cake. The pluck of women, the optimism of the dear creatures, and she managed to find something which looked edible. That's all I know, as I had no opportunity to observe the more intimate effects of that comstable. I myself never eat cake, and Mrs. Fine, when she arrived punctually, brought with her no appetite for cake. She had no appetite for anything, but she had a thirst, a sign of deep, of tormenting emotion yes it was emotion not the brilliant sunshine more brilliant than warm as is the way of our discreet self-repressed distinguished insular sun which would not turn a real lady scarlet not on any account mrs fine looked even cool she wore a white skirt and coat a white hat with a large brim reposed on her smoothly arranged hair The coat was cut something like an army mess-jacket, and the style suited her. I dare say there are many youthful subalterns, and not the worst-looking, too, who resemble Mrs. Fine, in the type of face, in the sunburnt complexion, down to that something alert in bearing, but not many would have had that aspect, breathing a readiness to assume any responsibility under heaven. This is the sort of courage which ripens late in life, and, of course, Mrs. Fine was of mature years for all her unwrinkled face. She looked round the room, told me positively that I was very comfortable there, to which I assented, humbly acknowledging my undeserved good fortune. Why undeserved, she wanted to know. I engaged these rooms by letter without asking any questions. It might have been an abominable hole, I explained to her. I always do things like that. I don't like to be bothered. This is no great proof of sagacity, is it? Sagacious people, I believe, like to exercise that faculty. I have heard that they can't even help showing it in the veriest trifles. It must be very delightful, but I know nothing of it. I think that I have no sagacity, no practical sagacity. Fine made an inarticulate, base murmur of protest. I asked about the children whom I had not seen yet since my return from town. They had been very well. They were always well. Both Fine and Mrs. Fine spoke of the rude health of their children as if it were a result of moral excellence. In a peculiar tone which seemed to imply some contempt for people whose children were liable to be unwell at times one almost felt inclined to apologize for the inquiry and this annoyed me unreasonably i admit because the assumption of superior merit is not a very exceptional weakness anxious to make myself disagreeable by way of retaliation i observed in accents of interested civility that the dear girls must have been wondering at the sudden disappearance of their mother's young friend had they been putting any awkward questions about miss smith wasn't it as miss smith that miss de barral had been introduced to me mrs fyne staring fixedly but also colouring deeper under her tan told me that the children had never liked Flora very much. She hadn't the high spirits which endear grown-ups to healthy children. Mrs. Fine explained unflinchingly. Flora had been staying at the cottage several times before. Mrs. Fine assured me that she often found it very difficult to have her in the house. "'But what else could we do?' she exclaimed. That little cry of distress quite genuine in its inexpressiveness altered my feeling towards mrs fine it would have been so easy to have done nothing and to have thought no more about it my liking for her began while she was telling me of the night she spent by the girl's bedside the night before her departure with her unprepossessing relative that mrs fine found means to comfort the child i doubt very much She had not the genius for the task of undoing that which the hate of an infuriated woman had planned so well. You will tell me perhaps that children's impressions are not durable. That's true enough. But here, child is only a manner of speaking. The girl was within a few days of her sixteenth birthday. She was old enough to be matured by the shock the very effort she had to make in conveying the impression to mrs fyne in remembering the details in finding adequate words or any words at all was in itself a terribly enlightening and ageing process she had talked a long time uninterrupted by mrs fyne childlike enough in her wonder and pain pausing now and then to interject the pitiful query it was cruel of her. Wasn't it cruel, Mrs. Fine? For Charlie, she found excuses. He, at any rate, had not said anything, while he had looked very gloomy and miserable. He couldn't have taken part against his aunt, could he? But after all he did, when she called upon him, Take that cruel woman away. He had dragged her out by the arm. She had seen that plainly. She remembered it. That was it. The woman was mad. Oh, Mrs. Fine, don't tell me she wasn't mad if you only had seen her face. But Mrs. Fine was unflinching in her idea that as much truth as could be told was due in the way of kindness to the girl, whose fate she feared would be to live exposed to the hardest realities of unprivileged existences. She explained to her that there were in the world evil-minded, selfish people unscrupulous people these two persons had been after her father's money the best thing she could do was to forget all about them after papa's money i don't understand poor flora de barral had murmured and lay still as if trying to think it out in the silence and shadows of the room where only a night-light was burning then she had a long shivering fit while holding tight the hand of mrs fyne whose patient immobility by the bedside of that brutally murdered childhood did infinite honour to her humanity that vigil must have been the more trying because i could see very well that at no time did she think the victim particularly charming or sympathetic it was a manifestation of pure compassion of compassion in itself so to speak Not many women would have been capable of displaying with that unflinching steadiness. The shivering fit over, the girl's next words, in an outburst of sobs, were, "'Oh, Mrs. Fine, am I really such a horrid thing as she has made me out to be?' "'No, no,' protested Mrs. Fine. "'It is your former governess who is horrid and odious. She is a vile woman.' I cannot tell you that she was mad, but I think she must have been beside herself with rage and full of evil thoughts. You must try not to think of these abominations, my dear child. They were not fit for any one to think of much. Mrs. Fyne commented to me in a curt, positive tone, All that had been very trying. The girl was like a creature struggling under a net but how can i forget she called my father a cheat and a swindler do tell me mrs fine that isn't true it can't be true how can it be true she sat up in bed with a sudden wild motion as if to jump out and flee away from the sound of the words which had just passed her own lips mrs fine restrained her soothed her induced her at last to lay her head on her pillow again, assuring her all the time that nothing this woman had had the cruelty to say deserved to be taken to heart. The girl, exhausted, cried quietly for a time. It may be she had noticed something evasive in Mrs. Fyne's assurances. After a while, without stirring, she whispered brokenly, that awful woman told me that all the world would call papa these awful names is it possible is it possible mrs fyne kept silent do say something to me mrs fyne the daughter of de barral insisted in the same feeble whisper again mrs fyne assured me that it had been very trying terribly trying yes thanks i will She leaned back in the chair with folded arms while I poured another cup of tea for her, and Fine went out to pacify the dog which, tied up under the porch, had become suddenly very indignant at somebody having the audacity to walk along the lane. Mrs. Fine stirred her tea for a long time, drank a little, put the cup down, and said, with that air of accepting all the consequences, "'Silence would have been unfair. "'I don't think it would have been kind, either. "'I told her that she must be prepared for the world "'passing a very severe judgment on her father.' "'Wasn't it admirable?' cried Marlowe, interrupting his narrative. "'Admirable.' "'And as I looked dubiously at this unexpected enthusiasm, "'he started justifying it after his own manner.' I say admirable because it was so characteristic. It was perfect, nothing short of genius could have found better, and this was nature, as they say of an artist's work, this was a perfect fine, compassion, judiciousness, something correctly measured, none of your dishevelled sentiment, and right, you must confess that nothing could have been more right i had a mind to shout brava brava but i did not do that i took a piece of cake and went out to bribe the fine dog into some sort of self-control his sharp comical yapping was unbearable like stabs through one's brain and Fine's deeply modulated remonstrances abashed the vivacious animal no more than the deep impatient murmur of the sea abashes a nigger minstrel on a popular beach Fine was beginning to swear at him in low sepulchral tones when i appeared the dog became at once wildly demonstrative half strangling himself in his collar his eyes and tongue hanging out in the excess of his incomprehensible affection for me this was before he caught sight of the cake in my hand a series of vertical springs high up in the air followed and then when he got the cake he instantly lost his interest in everything else Fine was slightly vexed with me as kind a master as any dog could wish to have he yet did not approve of cake being given to dogs the fine dog was supposed to lead a spartan existence on a diet of repulsive biscuits with an occasional dry hygienic bone thrown in fine looked down gloomily at the appeased animal i too looked at that fool dog and you know how one's memory gets suddenly stimulated i was reminded visually with an almost painful distinctness of the ghostly white face of the girl i saw last accompanied by that dog deserted by that dog i almost heard her distressed voice as if on the verge of resentful tears calling to the dog the unsympathetic dog perhaps she had not the power of evoking sympathy that personal gift of direct appeal to the feelings i said to find mistrusting the supine attitude of the dog why don't you let him come inside oh dear no he couldn't think of it i might indeed have saved my breath i knew it was one of the fine's rules of life part of their solemnity and responsibility one of those things that were part of their unassertive but ever-present superiority that their dog must not be allowed in It was most improper to intrude the dog into the houses of the people they were calling on, if it were only a careless bachelor in farmhouse lodgings and a personal friend of the dog. It was out of the question, but they would let him bark one's sanity away outside one's window. They were strangely consistent in their lack of imaginative sympathy. I didn't insist, but simply led the way back to the parlor, hoping that no wayfarer would happen along the lane for the next hour or so to disturb the dog's composure. End of Part 5